rolling. What's happening, y'all? Andy and Zach here. We are at Zahn's Brewing here in the nations. Mm-hmm. Trying some new beers today. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's the last weekend, or it's the last week of September, and they've got an Oktoberfest mm-hmm. and a new pumpkin ale on tap. They also have a Belgian wit, but the Oktoberfest and the pumpkin ale is the ones that we've been trying tonight. I was going to say, I'm about to take my first sip of the pumpkin. I really we'll like see. it. You know, all right, so while you're t- taking a sip of this, we had this at our wedding seven years ago, almost to the day. Today is, I mean, when this publishes, it's going to be some time, but our anniversary is October 4th, and this pumpkin ale was a, we had a keg of this at our wedding. Seven years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. Does it still taste the same, as far as you can As far remember? as I can tell, yeah. It's yeah. really good. It's one of my favorite pumpkin ales, actually. And now that I'm saying that out loud, I should bring a growler home with me one of these days. Yeah. Maybe maybe on my anniversary, because we're going to report a, uh, record a podcast on my actual anniversary. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'll come home with that pumpkin beer. Yeah, that'd be cute. Okay. That would be very thoughtful. It would be. Yeah. Good and thing I'm figuring it out before <laughs> uh yeah it's it's really good it is good it's really i good. like it it's probably of all the pumpkin beers in town it's probably one of my favorites yeah i don't know if i like it more than the oktoberfest because that oktoberfest is pretty good they're both really good i could drink both a but, lot yeah this is this is tasty so if you're in the nations and you have or have not been to sans come check out their pumpkin beer do come by also, they have a cute little patio, and the weather is gorgeous today. Any afternoon, the weather is gorgeous here, and it's relatively quiet. So if you want to come, like, enjoy some weather and drink a, a good beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right on, man. Well, we are in an exciting period of time specifically for you and your new space. That's correct. We're getting near to the grand opening official opening the official opening will be as of this recording will be this coming friday but by the time our audience hears this recording it'll be like two weeks in okay right so no i'm excited i've actually done a session already in the space one session in the space oh i had to tell you i didn't tell you about this because i haven't seen you so because i was out of town this weekend so I, I did my first session in the space this past Friday and not 10 minutes into it, it's six o'clock in the morning, not 10 minutes into it, there's a woman standing outside my door of the new space. Now, there is no other business where I am that's open at this time of day. I have right, no idea right. where she came from, but she was a very nice lady. Was asking me about the gym, asking me about training, whatever, and I was coaching a client that's been with me for a long time, so it was easy. Right. He didn't feel slighted, but it caught me off guard. Like it surprised me, and so then I felt like I was off my game as far as my charm, because mm. sure. I am fairly charming. Maybe fairly. not, maybe not on this podcast, but in general, I'm fairly charming. And she caught me off guard, and so not that I wasn't charming, but I just I was trying coach a client in a brand new space and talk to her and right. like make her feel comfortable and welcome or whatever and Steven the guy I was coaching is a pretty high performing client so he's doing some like big ass stuff and this <laughs> woman was she wasn't a former D1 athlete is how I'd put it and so she was very sweet and I, I texted her after the fact and, and uh, I just felt really unprepared because I didn't expect to see her didn't expect to talk to her. And then even while she was standing there, and she's, she was like, can I book a session with you on your website? And I was like, that would be cool if you could, but you can't do that. <laughs> I don't have that feature on my website. Sidebar, that's never going to be a feature on my website because I don't want that ability. Right. So, right. sidebar. But she was very sweet. Hopefully she becomes a member of my new... Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. So, But it's it, it, it caught me off. I even texted Megan after the fact because I so I texted the woman to be like, "Hey, thank you for coming in. Would love to chat." And so this is where things went sideways because I was still caught off guard. I said "chat" three different times in one sentence when I texted her. What is? What's the composition of that sentence? 
hey, thanks for coming by to chat. Can't wait to chat with you next About your goals. Time. Just let me know chat anytime soon. you're free to chat. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Uh, I biffed that one. Chatty, so, chatty Andy. Yeah. Chatty Kathy over here. So anyway, that was my first experience in the new space. Cool, man. Um, it went pretty well. The uh, the I think I mentioned on the podcast before the you know I had new drywall put up or, or, or patched or both Dry, new drywall patched drywall. There's drywall dust everywhere, so I've had to mop it now three times to try to get I vacuumed and mopped it three times to try to get it picked up. Oh wow! And it wasn't quite there yet. So like Stephen's shoes are slipping because I won't have flooring till mid October. So. There's tile in the space, and so you, you might slip and slide a little bit. Also, when you go to re-rack a bar, because I don't have rubber flooring, um, the rack moves. Mm. So, anyway, there's still a lot to be done. Sure. Um, I bought, you know, cleaning rags. I bought cleaning solution. I bought my barbell storage today. I figured that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's coming together. Uh, I think at this point it's really just like piecing it together, like the last little bits. Here's what I'm. Here's what I'm learning. Mm. As a as about to be a brand new brick and mortar business owner, mm-hmm. I am far more concerned with the minor details than the major ones. In part because I've been coaching for 10 years, so like I'm not concerned about the coaching part. I know how to coach. I know how to write programs. Like The big nuts and bolts of what I do is already easy to do. What I am concerned about is how clean is my space? Of course. Does it feel comfortable? When you go to the bathroom, do you feel like it's disgusting or do you feel at home when you're in the bathroom? Is there toilet paper, paper towels, hand soap? All those things. Mm-hmm. And so... Right now, of all things that I'm concerned about, again, a lot of the big rock things are done and out of the way. Where are my mats going to hang? How will I store my super bands? Mm-hmm. Where are my medicine balls going to go? Do I want a certain type of cushioned couch, bench thing in front of the window? Where is my refrigerator going to go? Shit like that. Yeah. Like the weird minor details, but I think make a huge difference because... If you don't have water, I don't have a water fountain, so I have to have right. water available. Right. And if you don't bring your own, you don't want to be like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. It's those little things that have all of a sudden be, become like a hyper concern. And it feels like, what do they call it? Death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. Not in terms of money spent, but in terms of like, I'm trying to track, keep track of all the cuts. Right. Like, how many cuts do I still need to, like, take care of to, like, be good in the space? Right. So, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, as a trainer, as a coach, you're detail-oriented. Right. The little things are the big things. And then as someone who cares about the craft and what you do and providing a great customer experience, great workout and client uh, experience, you know, these are the things yeah. that I know... I know I appreciate the little details as a customer myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm very, you know, discerning as 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 a customer. So it's the little things that make the big difference for me as a customer. And all of this is not not surprising to hear. And these are all the things that are going to well, we even make made, your make your place special. We even made one earlier in this place about their beer selection. We made a, a what? An observation. Oh, an about, observation. Yeah, I'm not going to talk shit, but there are other breweries that we've been to. Oh, sure. And <laughs> we were both commenting. We were right. like, same rotation of beers, nothing new, nothing, like, we've been we've been coming here for a while, and it's, it's great space, and the beer's great. But after a while, you're like, I wish you had this one beer that I really like, and you haven't right. had it forever. But here we showed up today, and they had three new beers on tap. Mm-hmm. That's Sans Brewing in the Nations, in case anybody forgot. But they did. They had three new beers on tap, even yep. though they only have eight on tap. 
it and this space is clean it's airy it's quiet it's great for this podcast they have this patio space point is we noticed a detail without really noticing the details or like at least calling attention to it right right yeah yeah and that's the advantage that quote-unquote mom-and-pop small business owners have right it's like everything that you see doesn't come out of a corporate manual it comes out of someone's imagination comes out of some individual person's taste and individual elbow grease right well and that goes a long way too it's like you're a small business owner i'm a small business owner like it goes a long way to like notice those details and make Mm -hmm. the place comfortable make it warm like warm and welcoming and like we want to come back here right i don't think there's a that i can think of the only place that I don't like to record all that much is your place or my place because I have to supply the beer or you have to supply the beer. <laughs> it's like a fourth hour. You're like, oh shit, I need beer at the house for later. But the point is, we haven't been to a location that we didn't like at all and didn't return. Sure. But we have been to enough of these places to be like, here's what we like or what we don't like or here are these, the concerns. Even as we're doing this podcast, you and I, we've talked about this off air. There was lawnmower noise. There were sirens. There were cars. So we're not oblivious to the small details of our very own podcast. Of course. So, again, if we're going to provide a service or whatever, I think the minor details count. 100%. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that's, that's what makes going into business for yourself, especially in a physical location, so special is because you get to put your fingerprint is on everything. Mm-hmm. So it's really like the entire experience, the whole facility, you know, from front door to the back door is all Andy. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have the autonomy to make it everything that you want. Right. Well, you know, if there are fingerprints on my glass door... If there's there's actually some tape residue on my glass door, and, and like I noticed it the other day, and I was just like, ooh, I need to fix that. Or I had blinds on the front door, and I just took the whole thing off because they were broken. Like several blinds were broken, and so it just looked trashy. Took the whole yeah. thing off, so the door, the glass door, looked right into my space. Mm. Um, you know, any dirt, dust, cobwebs, anything. Yeah. I'm I'm like on it. The best way I can equate it is if you own a home or have an apartment and you're having guests over, you don't just like leave it kind of like, you know, you clean, you pick up. You want your space to be a reflection of who you are as a person. Of course. Now, of course, your house isn't pristine all the time. I don't know anybody whose is, but it is a reflection on who you are as a person and how clean you like to keep your space. And there's probably some minor details here and, here and there that no one else would notice, but mm. you notice, and so you're like hyper aware of it yeah i'm the same way yeah so like if there's a little bit of dust on my windowsill i notice it my clients probably not but i do and so it's the same thing if you own your own home it's kind of like when you have guests coming over you clean and pick up and make sure it looks presentable i'm finding that this gym space is no exception to that of course of course yeah i will say some of my biggest um complaints or my points of being a disgruntled person um, as a trainer has been working at all these different facilities and and being rubbed the wrong way by the small details mm-hmm. you know because I've worked at big corporate gyms I've worked at literally the one-man show and like a few places in between and the biggest things that grind my gears are the little details that could be easily remedied Mm -hmm. or easily taken care of or spruced up or what have you um, that remained neglected or otherwise rubbed against my taste. I was the same way when I worked at my previous location. Not the one I'm in now, but the one before. Again, I don't want to talk shit. But like, they almost never mopped, almost never vacuumed. Now this was in a space that I owned, I I subcontracted out of. 
and or, or like for example the um, they had a lot of plate loaded machines and those plate loaded machines move up and down on like vertical metal poles and those poles get grimy mm, get mm-hmm. dirty and so when those plates go to slide up and down they don't articulate all that well they catch right they stick now they, they make this product you have to wear gloves it's that caustic but wear gloves they make a product to like both clean and grease these poles mm. but they never did that right mirrors were disgusting these posts were disgusting dust dirt whatever all over the place all the time equipment never wiped down now i did my part to like in the small capacity that i was there but it wasn't my space right and so it frustrated me especially too and you're probably coming from, cut from the same cloth when you worked for some of these larger gyms it wasn't even that coaching was your primary job cleaning was your primary job oh sure and then coaching was like secondary oh sure they were like anytime you have like five seconds wipe down something grab grab a rag grab some cleaning solution wipe some stuff down so maybe because we both spend an appreciable amount of time working for larger corporate gyms we both understand like stuff just needs to be maintained at all times yeah and so it's either that or the fact that i own a home and so if people are coming into my home there's some sort of self-respect version of that or maybe it's from my upbringing. My parents were like really st- like very much about like keeping things clean and tidy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just an amalgamation of all those experiences. Every time I'm in my space, I'm like, if there's any dust, if there's a <laughs> fingerprint, I'm just like, ugh. Clean it. Keep it clean. Make sure it feels warm and welcome and that people don't notice those details. Yeah. And this is the real benefit from the client side of patronizing a small business or a one-man show it's like really you should i think you should almost expect well i mean of course it depends on the nature of the business and the in your style and everything but like i almost expect things to be a little bit more immaculate when it's a small business as opposed to a large business right you know because you actually have uh, authority and you have responsibility it's like I can peg it on you like if the floor is dirty it's not the janitor's fault well it is the janitor's fault and it just I'm so happens <laughs> it just so happens that you are the janitor right so so yeah I almost expect more attention to detail from the mom-and-pop business right well and if you're trying to provide a service the service isn't the service is but isn't coaching so yes when you come to my space I do want to have individualized programming now out out of this and this might be a spinoff topic we talk about sometime else but for the sake of efficiency I'm not gonna have four people doing four wildly different programs at the same time because I don't have four stations right I have two stations so there will be some crossover but that's mostly for efficiency and trying to make sure everybody's getting a good but I do want to program Everybody was going to have their own individual program or, or variations of a program that we can come in and do good work. That's not where the service stops. The service will also be clean towels, cleaning spray, water bottles, coffee, a clean bathroom, all the equipment that I think that I need to do my job, you know, clean mirrors, clean glass, all that. Right. So what do they call it? Starbucks called it their second place, third place. There was your home, your work, and your third place. This, for, for my clientele, I would like to be a version of some third place. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably the goal of most. I don't know about most, but a lot of brick-and-mortar businesses, that's kind of the goal is to at least serve that third place uh, need in, in some capacity. I mean, obviously, like, right now we're in a, in a bar, and that's, that's a lot of people's third place. Yeah. It's also yeah. very clean and tidy. Yeah. And the beer is good and the service is great. Right. So. Not all things that you have gone unnoticed. Right. So, yeah, let that be a, uh, a lesson to any business owner out there or anybody who's curating some sort of, you know, experience in the marketplace is you never know 
when you are somebody's third place, even if you're not a coffee shop or a, a brewery or whatever. And um, yeah, it just it just respects people's time and attention and patronage. Right. Yeah. So all that to say, um, I'm really uh, I'm really happy that you have that attention to detail and your clients are lucky to have you oh, oh, oh yeah and I, I bet it would be an uphill battle if I didn't have that, that attention to detail but we'll see I mean there's still a lot that I need to figure out like it, it's gonna be rough I'm, I don't want anyone to think that this is gonna be like a pristine 100% executed operation from day one because it's not I don't have flooring till mid-October I don't have mirrors and I don't have whiteboards so I don't have a fridge. I will have water, but I just won't have a fridge yet. So there are still a lot of loose ends that I'll need to tie up, but I'm hoping by November 1st, it's a pretty smooth sailing ship. Mm-hmm. We'll find it. I'm even having like scheduling. I don't, I will be in there full time starting next week. And I don't even know exactly when I'll see all my people. Mm. Well, these are the things, you know, hey, you learn to fly on the way down. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah. You better. Yeah. So, it's fun. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, you know, there's a, a certain energizing anxiety about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. So. Very exciting. I'll have more news to share next week. For sure. Dig it, man. Yeah. 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 Super proud of you. Thank you. Yeah. So, today we're going to fix somebody's bench. We're going to fix mine. Let's start with you. Start by fixing your bench. So this would be, we did our, our fixer squat, fix your deadlift, and now we're on fix your bench. Now you're pursuing an interesting bench goal that isn't barbell bench. Remind the audience what you're trying to do. Yeah, so that's true. So I, I didn't even really think about this, is bench press doesn't necessarily need to be barbell. Well, and that's why, that, yeah, that's why I brought okay. it up. Okay. Yeah, so... I will admit, I have always had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with the barbell bench press. Okay. Nobody, well, not not nobody. Um, I have been as serious of a student as just about anybody when it comes to the barbell lifts. And I can just say that for me, for my shoulder history, for my build, et cetera, et cetera, the barbell bench press is not super uh, friendly and appropriate for for my training. What's your what was your best bench ever? I'm pretty sure I did 247 in competition. Okay. Yeah. You're pretty light then, though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. great considering your body weight. Mm-hmm. So, what'd you weigh when you benched 247? Uh, probably what I weigh now, 155. What the? I've only been over... You're 40 pounds heavier than you. I've only been like 160, 165 for a few brief periods of time. Huh. Yeah. I've pretty that's, much been 155 great. for like the last 10 years. I think my <laughs> my best bench was 275. And I, it was a random training day. And I didn't have a spotter. That was, oh that boy. was silly. Oh, I do have a bench story. Uh, we'll have to come back to this. Sure. Um, and there's an injury involved, so of course. Yeah. Not with the bench. There's some anyway. Um, at, so I'll at a say, body weight of about 180, I benched 275. Okay. Yeah. Very for good. a single. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the best I ever did. Yeah. And then, and then I blew out my arm. <laughs> Ray's got a. Not with the bench. Hey. <laughs> right. I need. I need to preface this with. I the only injury I've ever sustained while lifting was my bicep tear. I have never gotten seriously hurt under any lift ever in 16 years of lifting. Right, right. So 275, and then on a separate occasion playing kickball, I blew out my shoulder. Yeah. And so my bench press <laughs> fell quite a bit, and never I never recovered it. Yeah. Um, so all this to say, um, I I have pursued military pressing goals over the course of time. But I, I haven't ever really been concerned with my horizontal press until relatively recently. 
which kind of was an outgrowth of breaking my leg and not having anything else to train but upper body. And I kind of always had a little bit of a, I don't even want to say it was a mental block, but like I never really trained dumbbell bench press very seriously. And I don't think I ever like really pressed more than the 60s or maybe the 65s. Really? Yeah. Like dumbbell bench has just never really been something that I ever trained. Bro, I was still in the 75 one arm when my right arm was broken. I mean, <laughs> look, we all we all have different, okay. different stories, Andy. Okay. Well, and you did do an impressive lift the other day. I'll let you share that in a minute. Uh, well, I don't know how impressive it is, but all, all this to say, when I broke my leg, I was like, expletive. Asterisk, 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 exclamation point. What am I going to do now? I'm gonna bench the 100-pound dumbbells. It's a good goal. So that's my so that's my goal, and I'm creeping up on it. So in the past week or so, so I've basically been uh, dumbbell benching twice a week. One I do incline, and one I do flat. And so just here recently, I did three sets of 12 flat with the 75s. That's great. And just a couple days ago, or was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Yesterday I did incline. Um, do I have it? Do I have it on my app? I'll also give a sh big shout out to uh, um, Eugene Teo. Um, who has a really cool training app called Ganbaru Method? Uh, I'll maybe talk more about that later. So let me let me look this up here. I was gonna say I've done the 75 one-armed 20 times once. Jeez. Now there's a reason for that, and I've told people about this. Um, of all body parts that I've developed in 16 years of training, my chest is probably the one that got the most attention early on in my training career. When you're 16, all you do is bench. And so I would admit that my bench press is probably only decent now because I invested a lot of time when I was 16 to 22 or whatever right. in the bench press because dudes like to bench. And so I benched a lot and I actually got pretty decent at it. Um, ever since I blew out my shoulder, it, that's not been the case. And honestly, ever since I blew out my shoulder, I really don't care anymore. About the barbell bench. I'm just never going to get there, and it just seems like an effort in futility. So instead, I switched to the squat. Really? I, I really like to squat. So that's been my major focus over the last couple of years, because I can't bench, mm. but I can squat. Right. So anyway. So yesterday, on incline bench, using the 75s, I did 889. Nice. That's yeah. great. So my goal is to kind of get, like, three sets of 12 before bumping up. Now, I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm creeping up. I'm glad you brought that up, and maybe this will be like the second half of this discussion, is the one thing that we haven't talked about in the fix my squat and fix my deadlift is periodization. Mm. And I actually had a conversation about periodization <laughs> today with a client. We can come back to it. Yeah. But that's the one thing that we haven't discussed is like, how do I go about getting a bigger bench or a bigger squat or sure. bigger deadlift? Yeah, well, um, I will say this. S speaking to the barbell bench, I can tell you when I was at my strongest, doing 531. Now, granted, I was probably at the sweet spot in my training journey to where I was probably at the tail end of my newbie gains. But I was, I was strongest after doing two or three months of just the simple five three one cycle now i'm glad you brought that up again for another reason that we can also talk about there's a common theme i don't know if you've ever noticed this with a number of different programs there's a common theme of doing a lighter loaded version of what you're doing whether it's squat deadlift or bench and doing an amrap mm. which the five three one uses that's right so the top, the top set the top if set. anybody who's not familiar one of the hallmarks of the 531 method is your last set of the day 
is a plus set. Right. I don't think I don't think Jim Wendler likes to use AMRAP. AMRAP, but it's basically as many as it's possible. basically do more reps if you have more reps in the tank over what is prescribed. Well, because there even, is a prescription. Right. And that's like if you can do more, do one to maybe five more reps. Sure. Now that said, Jim Wendler's five three one program um, automatically sets you back. With a 10% reduction in what right. you think you can do. I do love that. that. Anytime I don't feel great yeah. in the gym and I think about my percentages, like if I want to do a set of five at 85%, I'll calculate my 85% and I'll, I might reduce it by 5 or 10% more yep. if I don't feel great. Yeah. Now, if I, if I hit a good training streak, like if I stick with 531 for like three months and I'm really cruising... I don't miss, hit every lift, whatever. But if there are certain days where I just don't feel great now that I'm not doing 531, I will take whatever my percentage is, I will reduce it, and get really solid, clean sets at a slightly lower percentage. And yeah. then maybe AMRAP that last set. So if there is one of the top two or three principles of sustainable strength training, it's don't miss reps. Right. And Jim Wendler is very smart in the sense that he builds, he, he takes care of that in the sense that he kind of uses the traditional, what you might call the prepland table of X number of reps at X intensity that you can handle. But he says, you calculate your one rep max with obviously whatever your one rep max is but then you calculate it at, you, you basically take 10% off. Mm -hmm. So if your max at, uh, let's say, uh, bench press is, uh, let's say, 300 pounds, he's like, okay, for the purposes of this program, your max is actually 270. Right. So subtract 10% off, and that is what you're going to use for your weight prescriptions. So in a way, that kind of gives you some, some wiggle room. So you're kind of bowling with the bumpers there mm -hmm. a little bit. And, and I really like that. I, I really, really like that because you can't rely on an all-time one-rep max as your true one-rep max. Right. For, for the vast majority of the time, for the vast majority of people. Well, especially if you're an intermediate lifter where you have a pretty narrow range of what your one-rep max probably is. Yeah. We're not talking about like beginner lifters where you can move the goalposts basically by showing up every week. If you've been at this game long enough, your true one-rep max is probably in a fairly narrow range. Yeah. So So yeah. when you take a little haircut off the top and you're working from from these percentages, from these from these uh, working set numbers that are a little bit conservative, you are able to do a cycle like five three one without worrying about missing reps. Well, and two, the other part of this, there's two parts to this. The first is, what is the goal? What is the point of what we're talking about? Just to drive higher strength numbers, right? So, in order to drive higher strength numbers, you really have to be careful about the total volume of work that you're doing because your body just can't handle, I don't know, like really heavy, hard sets of five, like a bunch of them, like an right. ass load of them. What 531 does is if you're doing five reps, it's only that last set that you really take to true failure. The first two sets are pretty manageable. In other words, you come out of it feeling pretty strong, pretty good. It's only that last set that really counts. Now, the reason for that is because, A, the goal isn't pure unadulterated mass or, or smashing your head into a wall. Right. It's to drive higher strength numbers, and to do that at the intermediate level, you have to coax them. You can't just like smash your head into a wall and hope that you get higher strength numbers. You have to coax them. Um, and then the other is that it manages that intensity and that volume. So you can't blow yourself out with three sets of five. You really only blow yourself out the one set. So you're managing intensity, you're managing volume, 
you're managing sort of um, uh, the goal as far as like driving strength numbers. So I really like that because it almost like what's the word I'm looking for? It almost restrains you. Yeah. Especially again at the intermediate level, you depending on your training age and knowledge or whatever, you probably want to smash your head into a wall. Most people that train with a lot of right. intensity really like doing that. This program deliberately, and not just this one, a number of them do this. They deliberately slow you down. They pump the brakes. So you can't smash your body to smithereens trying to force strength adaptations. You really only get your one top set. And so over a long period of time of this training, you can sort of gently coax your top level strength numbers. Yeah. And to kind of state the obvious, the goal of a program is to finish it. Right. <laughs> right. So, like, the proof is in the pudding. And that's why, like, 5 through 1 is, is kind of one of these pillar-type programs. Because, like, if you start it, you're going to finish it. Yeah. It's not one of these programs that you hop off of in, in, you know, after, you know, week two. Like, you're on it, you finish it. And what a lot of people do, and has been my experience, it's very enjoyable to run it multiple times in a row. I agree. So that's that's really where a, a really strong synergistic effect kind of comes in. And you can see how strong you can get by just inching up on one rep at a time, five pounds at a time. Well, and the irony of all this is even Jim Windler does this again where he sort of throttles you because even if, let's say, on your max your max day, you get 30 reps, you get, to, you get to add only five pounds to your top weight. Yeah, right. There's a, there's a constraint around yeah. how much you so add even if you do every week. Ass load of reps at a certain weight. And in theory, if you run the calculations, you've moved your personal record by like 30 pounds. You're only allowed, according to the program, to up your weight, your, your theoretical one rep max by five pounds. And then you run that whole thing again. Yep. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So all this to say, I know we're kind of going off on a little bit of a, a Jim Wendler tangent, but these are some of the principles I think are the most important to keep in mind when it comes to the bench press because it's such a gung-ho lift mm -hmm. that people just want to blow out of the water and more people get hurt and from what i've seen more people die from bench presses gone bad okay so this is probably when i should tell my any story other exercise around so talk about programming i do want to keep the element of programming kind of in the in the very close background um but anyway going back to my story i had broken a finger playing flag football like mangled and had surgery and i was a senior in college and i was bench pressing by myself without a spotter and ever since then now the joke the running joke in the gym is friends don't let friends die under the bar because with the squat, in theory, you can bail pretty easily. If like you get stuck, you can bail out of it. Now, it doesn't look pretty, but you can. Deadlift, if you're going to fail, you just drop the bar. A bench press, if you're going to fail, it starts to crush your chest. Ask me how I know. Oh, Andy. <laughs> so what happened was... Oh, no. Tell you what, pro tip, if you're bench pressing and you without a spotter... And in your head, you think, I've got one more. You don't got one more. Just rack it. <laughs> it there's no additional benefit. And I tell my clients this all the time. Oh, no. This is based on my experience. There is no additional benefit for barely edging out that last rep on a bench press. You don't get, like, a gold star. You don't get that much more gains. You really actually probably get more damage. Like, oh, yeah. More, like, bad damage. Oh, yeah. So well, if, and you don't want to end a set on a bad rep. Uh, well, yeah, on a grinder. I mean, I mean, there's one thing to, like, grind through and, like, you know you got it and you finish yeah. strong. But, but it's another thing ever, if you're like, 
I'm seeing my life flash before my eyes. Yeah, but that's, if, that's a whole other story. If you ever get into a position where, you, especially if you, if you have a spotter, it's one thing. And a good spotter. I'm learning as I'm coaching. When I, so when I was in a sling, I was coaching a lot of my clients on how to spot a bench press. And I took for granted the skill of spotting a bench press. Because <laughs> it, I was like having to really coach. Of all things that I have to coach, spotting a bench press is one of the harder things to coach. Right, because you get those people. I'm sure you've had this experience where you need the spot, and the guy's like, "You got it, bro. You got it, bro." And you're like, "No, the bar's not moving. It's going the wrong direction. Like, help me. This is your job, and you're not doing your job." So anyway, I failed on rep number ten of a set that I thought I had. I did. I did think like I was benching 185 for sets of ten, and I thought I had it. But on number nine, there was that creeping thought in my head, like, "I don't know if I should go for that last rep." And I went for that last rep, and that was a mistake because I didn't lock it out. I didn't have a spotter, and all I did was just very carefully and very slowly lower the bar to my chest, and the bar was clipped. No. So I couldn't bail. The only thing that saved my life was some angel of a man saw me dying under the bar out of the corner of his eye and ran over and ripped it off of me. I can't tell you how many times I had to do that working in a lifetime fitness. Dude, my ego was so bruised. I packed my shit and left. It was my first and only lift of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Hard lesson learned. (laughs) So if nothing else, if nothing else, when you're benching by yourself, don't put the clips on. Right. Remain clipless. Yes. There's that. And then again, if you have that inkling in your head where you're like I don't know, rack it there's yeah. no additional benefit for grinding through that last rep, even if I did have it that 10th rep wasn't going to be like the make or break rep Yeah. same thing, it's a lesson I teach a lot of my clients like that last rep isn't the make or break rep, right. we're, we're good we were right. fine at 8 and 9 didn't have 10, it's not a big deal Yep. so don't wow. learn the hard way or yeah. at least have a spotter yeah well, a knowledgeable I've, spotter. Yeah. Which is hard to find, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you should never, you know, crazy things happen, of course. But there should never be a question in your mind that you've got the next rep. Especially with something like a bench press. What do they say? If it's not a yes, it's a no? If it's not a hell yes, (laughs) it's a no. no. On the bench press, yeah. Again, there are other lifts that you can bail out of, but the bench press is one that is very, you can't really bail. Right. So if it's not a yes, you know you got it, then you don't got it. And that's okay. Again, you don't get points for. Yeah, it's. It's it's dying. (laughs) Right. I mean, unless you have a big life insurance plan, there's, there's there's no benefit in you dying. Um, oh, what, what was I going to say? I had some semi-smart point to make. Um, Talking about whether or not you finished that last rep, if you don't got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all about living to lift another day. You know, and that, that comes in big time with, like, all lifts, but especially, especially any sort of, like, press, because... I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like a press, whether it's horizontal or vertical press, is like the number one cause of like gym-related injury. Like probably. I mean, shoulders. Everybody's got busted-up shoulders, or tight neck. That that whole thing. So, it's all about. You know what? We got the new 007 coming out. Live to die another day. <laughs> so, oh, oh, hello. Always leave a rep in the tank when it comes to, especially the uh, the barbell bench press. So, I'm not sure where you want to go from here. We've, well, we we've talk talked about a lot about, okay. Technique, which, uh, uh, all right, so. So when it comes to technique, for our general population, what are some of the, what are some of the big technique points that you're looking for? So, I actually, I, I can talk about this because I have been working with a father and son 
and we've been learning to bench press, like barbell bench press, and like gain some strength doing it, um, or, or cover some ground, um, I think repetition, like practice, matters. Mm-hmm. Especially, like if you want to get decent at a lift, do the lift. Like just, just keep doing the lift. Now, after a while, you kind of hit a plateau, then maybe you can rotate it out for a minute and then come back to it. But do the lift, because specificity rules all. So there's that. The other is what I'm finding, like hand position with a lot of people is like a thing. I have one client that likes to bench real wide. He -hmm. likes to go real wide. And I think wide grip bench press is pretty mechanically disadvantaged. Well, I think, okay, let me rephrase this. (laughs) A close grip bench press and a wide grip bench press are both mechanically disadvantaged over a normal mid-width bench. I think what I'm looking for when I'm coaching the bench, a, a, a standard bench press, is that your wrist and your elbow are stacked when you're touching chest. Right. So I like a, So in other words, if when the bar's on chest, your wrists are a little inside your elbows or a little outside your elbows, I think we're a little too narrow or a little too wide, respectively. Sure. When bars on chest, I'd like to see wrist and elbows stacked. Same with close grip, but it's just it's just lower on the chest. Right. But um, my technique tips would be do the if you want to get good at bench, bench, and then the other is find a hand position that uh, puts you in a, a position to be successful. And I think, for me, it's like the way I do it, and I'll tell people this. I use the first crease of my thumb, and I line it up with the knurling on the bar. So you've got the center knurl, and you've got some space, and then you've got the outer knurl. I line up the knurling on that first crease of my thumb, and then I rotate it under. Mm-hmm. I don't do a false grip. Do you ever do false grip? No. I would never coach no. that. That's a, so speaking of coaching tip... Don't roll your thumb over the top with your other fingers. Roll it underneath. Yeah. Close the bar in. I get that I've seen some real strong guys who insist on false grip. <sighs> Again, I don't know, man. It's like it's the one power lift that could kill you in two seconds. Right. Why? I don't know. Are you getting a better activation of something or the other I'm sure they've done a study on like thumb position but but why would you not yeah why would you not um yeah so practice is obviously huge even with people who aren't power lifters I think it's important to turn almost any press into as much of a full body effort as possible I agree. That's very difficult to coach and very difficult to, like, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, this might even be something that we revisit next week. Creating total body tension? Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. We're doing fine. We're getting there. Yeah. Also, we definitely moved inside from outside because there was a child, and now the child's inside. How dare yeah, we're recording a podcast over here. Don't you know? Uh, that that, child's sweet, that could that could be a different child. I think it is, actually. I don't know. Yeah, it is, actually, unless it's a girl. Because they showed up with a girl or anyway. Bench press. What's with all these children? Get, these, get these children out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um Yes, so turning any sort of press into as much of a full body lift as possible because you want the total engagement of the entire body to support the pressing musculature, hmm. which is actually kind of small, usually. If you're talking about triceps, delts, there's a little bit of, I mean, pecs are a big muscle group, but how much do pecs are actually get involved in the press? Well, in the barbell bench? In the barbell bench? Not much. Not a huge amount. I tell a lot of my like male clients who want to like grow a chest that the barbell bench is not a great choice. Right. Because you don't get abduction with the arm, with the barbell bench. Yeah. 
so your your chest muscles don't get as much. They do, obviously they're working to some degree. Yeah. But relative to like a dumbbell bench, if all you want is just mass in your chest, like a lot of men would like, the barbell bench is not a great choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So all that to say, um, if you're thinking about all this poundage that you're lifting, you're essentially doing it with your shoulders and your triceps. Yep. And these aren't huge muscle groups and they're around the most vulnerable joints in your body, which are your shoulders because they are so mobile. So the more stability we can gain from the rest of the body, the better. So this is why even even with people who aren't power lifters, I think some amount of back arch is key um, because it can help glute activation, I think core, and that arch can also help kind of pull your shoulders down and back into a more kind of safe and advantageous pressing position. Now do you, when you coach the bench, you pack the shoulders or no? When you coach it, not when you lift it, when you coach it. Well, I think I think there's actually more than one layer of quote unquote packing the shoulders. Okay. Because okay. So so this is kind of a subtle point. I do feel that when you unrack the bar and you what I call swim the bar forward, you're kind of doing almost a straight arm pull down mm-hmm. motion. Yeah, yeah. To close the armpit angle. Okay. You're, you're retracting the shoulders to a large degree, but mostly what I think you should be doing is depressing. Okay, so activating lats. Act, mostly activating lats. Okay. To, and then, so we've got the bar coming down to the point where when you're at the bottom, um, I don't know if you've ever had a lat cramp when you're at the bottom of a bench press. I have, it's been a long time. It's fun. It's, it's real fun. But it means, you know, probably that you're on the right path, that you're using your lats as a big supporting musculature. Now, I don't necessarily think that you need to keep that super duper lat engagement on the way up. I do think that you can, A, let the bar travel a little bit towards your head. Mm-hmm. So you're not necessarily pressing in what you would call a perfectly straight line. Right, there's like a curve to it. There's a little bit of a curve. So it curves a little bit back towards the head. And I think when you do that, you could almost transfer some of that engagement from the lats to the traps. Okay. So almost you can think about doing like an isometric shrug as you're pressing the weight up. And I have found that to be a very powerful cue to not only help power weights up off the chest into lockout, um, but also it kind of makes sense if you think about it, like even though we demonize the traps a lot, they serve a purpose. Yeah. And a big part of that, I think, is serving as the equal and opposite partner to the lats, because they are Shoulder elevators. Elevators, right? So I definitely think that there's something to trap activation on the press concentric. Okay. Yeah. I used to coach the the um, shoulder retraction, shoulder blade retraction, like you're trying to pinch a pencil between your shoulder blades and then keep that there throughout the entire bench press movement. Over the last couple of years, I've relaxed that stance. So if people want their shoulder blades to move a little bit. Now, ostensibly, the reason that you would pull your shoulder blades together, and like down and back, is it reduces the overall movement and provides more stability to press from. So if your shoulder blades can move or you let them move through a barbell bench, you're probably gonna gain, gain a little bit of range of motion. So it's a, it's a larger, distance that you have to move a load so there's that also you might feel a little less stable i have relaxed my stance on that a little bit and i've started exploring especially after shoulder surgery 
three years ago, actually three years ago this week, I had shoulder surgery. Wow. Um, and my left shoulder's not great. So I have been exploring more with letting my shoulder blades move freely during a barbell bench press, in part because it's not a heavy loaded press for me because I just can't. Um, right. In the past, the way I mitigated that with my clients is I would pack the shoulders to the bench, but anything and everything else, I let the shoulders fly. So if you right. went if you went to a right. high incline or shoulder press, I want the shoulder blades to move. If we went to a landmine press, I want the shoulder blades to move. If we went to a push up, I want the shoulder blades to move. So our shoulder blades and shoulder joint, going back to what you were saying, it's the most mobile joint in our body. It is built to move. So sh- like shrinking and stabilizing and sucking it down every single time you do a press is probably inhibiting its abilities overall. So I would find other ways to gain that. Right. Outside the bench. Yeah. Again, in the last couple of years, I've relaxed my stance on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and two, and I'll tell my clients this, like, same, we talk about the squat and depth. Same with bench. Like, if my clients don't want to touch chest with the bar, I do not care. I don't want to, like, I don't want to be, like, eight inches off chest because then that's just, like, a half press. But I, if they don't want to touch chest, I don't care. We're not power lifters. They're not stepping on a platform. And so the depth that we need to reach is more or less arbitrary. Now, that said, if we can get there, let's try to get there. Right. But if it's not comfortable for you, try to hover about an inch or so off chest and then go back again. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And then, man, that kid was distracted. (laughs) Kids left the building. Give that kid a beer. Yeah. I think... I think that's what she needs. Yeah. Um, so anyway, bench press. Yeah. So if you're struggling with the bench, how like what are your two go-tos to overcome a limited bench? Oh, like a bench plateau? Yeah. Mm. As lame as it might sound, I think you've really got to go back and dial in your technique. I think... I think I think it pretty much for most people always comes back to some sort of technique um, issue. Like, and again, that means different things for different people, but there could be a technique tweak that grants you like an immediate boost, an immediate PR, whether that's learning how to stay tight through the whole body, whether that's learning leg drive, whether that's changing the trajectory of the press. Um, I just, I see so many people just, um, just gunning the bench press. Like, fast, sloppy, not taking your time, not really giving every muscle group a job to do. You know, people just think, I mean, the average person just thinks it's a chest press. Right. It's just a chest exercise. And I think if you really dialed in your, um, your technique, like take cues from powerlifters, take cues from bodybuilders, take cues from PTs, mm-hmm. like really experiment and really dial in with like every inch of the range of motion. Um, most people will probably find they have a lot of work to do. And you might have to take two or three steps back to, to kind of rebuild your base for a big step forward. But that's kind of the first place that I go to. And I almost always find that somebody is missing something usually obvious. I mean, gripping the bar hard or experimenting with your hand placement mm-hmm. or your foot placement or your arch setup or your breathing or how you're tightening your abs, how you're tightening your butt. Can you engage your lats? Like I mentioned, flexing into the traps on your way up. Hmm. Like these are all little subtle cues and tips um, that could spell the difference between like the extra you know, 10% of boost in performance that, that you're after. So, I mean, number one, I would go back to like really dialing in technique. And I'm just a nerd in that way. I like that idea. Um, sometimes, 
what I'll do if like if we're stuck at a bit. So we talked. We said we were going to talk about periodization. But we're running short on time, so I'm not going to talk about it. But like, let's say you've been working at three sets of eight, and then three sets of ten, and then three sets of twelve, and then you add weight. Three sets of eight, three sets of ten, three sets of twelve. That's a great way to, to move the needle significantly for a long period of time. Sometimes, maybe you flip that around. So three sets of eight is 24 reps. Why not do five sets of five? Mm-hmm. A little bit heavier. So now we're tapping into a little bit more. So it's a little heavier lift. We're now recruiting some muscle fibers that we weren't earlier because it's just more intense. And the size principle tells us that we will only recruit muscle fibers that are needed to do the task. So if we're not lifting heavy-ass shit, we don't need to recruit certain muscle fibers to get the job done. So maybe we flip it and say, instead of three sets of eight, we do five sets of five. Or like one of my clients got to a point where he was benching 135, like, okay. And so we flipped it. We went five sets of three one week, six sets of three another week, seven sets of three the next week. So he's he's learning to manage 135 over his mm, body. Right in a more manageable set and rep scheme. So instead of going like three sets of five to eight at 135, which he couldn't do, we just, we were kind of running into a wall. We flipped it. So instead of three sets of five, we went five sets of three. Mm -hmm. Much more manageable. He can work on his technique, touch chest, feel comfortable, confident. So it's in a weird way, a backhanded way of working on technique because I'm, I'm inhibiting how many reps he's trying to struggle through. Right. And we're just dialing in technique at a load that he's not super comfortable with for a number of reps. So we just kind of tweaked it. Yeah. And then the other ones that I like to use, if a bench press stalls, sometimes it's anterior delt. So we'll do shoulder pressing variations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's triceps. So we'll do close grip uh, uh, barbell bench press variations. And so we'll kind of play around with just the regular bench and either, we do them all really. And I tell all my clients that, I'm like, if we're trying to build the bench, we need to be strong in delts and triceps also. So that's why we do shoulder pressing, and that's why we do close grip bench pressing, and that's why we do dumbbell pressing, so that we can shore up any of these weaknesses that might present themselves in the barbell bench. Now again, we're all, we're sitting here having a conversation as if the barbell bench is like the be all end all of fitness pursuits, and it's not. And so I have no qualms rotating it out of the program. If we've hit like a, a plateau, working on some other things and then coming back again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said with working with sub-maximal, sub-maximal weights and really pressing with the intention of launching that bar off your chest. Yeah. yeah. You know, to, to, sp- to take a cue from Louis Simmons and Westside, working speed. Right. Working speed. I think that comes in big time on something like, like the bench. I do, but only at the intermediate level. Sure, sure. I, I think you have to at least have 10 years of training under your belt before. Not 10 years, maybe, but at least five years of solid, like really solid training before speed work ends up being like a thing that's like relevant to your goals. I mean, we could do it. I just don't see how it's relevant in the gin pop clientele base when they're basically beginners. Sure. It's, it's, I'm not trying to detract from what you're saying. It's a I cool think, lift. I think oh, I think, I just think it's more relevant for more intermediate and advanced lifters. And you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah where, no, where, obviously I know what you mean. In terms of power, where they, they're, I don't know if you ever heard this saying, but um, at the time I learned about core training, but imagine trying to shoot a cannonball out of a canoe. To me, I've never heard that one. You never heard that? Mm-hmm. Imagine trying to shoot a cannonball out of a canoe. That's how I envision power, like like explosive, at like fifty five percent training at the gin pop level. I'm like you're not strong enough to throw. Right, you right, know? right, right, right. We need to we need to build your you know battleship first, and then we'll talk about shooting cannons. But yeah, and, and I I guess I guess that's what I'm talking about. Dialing back into technique is build that battleship build that battleship every every square inch of it yeah you know and then once you're solid don't don't be a baby off the chest use that use that power use that speed so speaking this is the not fitness related thing i need to find this on youtube and i'll send it to you but there was some guys that built a cannon and they launched bowling balls out of it 
and they took down. I don't remember. It took a lot of bowling balls, but they took down like a like a brick silo oh, by shooting bowling balls at it and knocking at the base. <laughs> now here's speaking of the canoe thing. They tried the same stunt on like a makeshift boat in the middle of a pond. They're oh, like, no. let's sink this boat. Now this cannon shot pretty damn hard and launched a cannonball over the pond, and it because it was a cannonball ricocheted off the trees behind it and like busted like seven trees wow <laughs> it's really cool i need to find that video. i'll find that video and i'll Forward send it to, to you but yeah it was really, it was they were all laughing i was laughing but they were trying to sink a boat and they just missed it completely and oh, just geez. smashed a bunch of trees behind them it was funny so anyway don't be trying to shoot cannonballs out of canoe hey if nothing else training is all about turning yourself into a battleship hmm and just like that, the podcast's over. <laughs> Anything to wrap up on? No, nah, I think that's good. All right, bro. I think they're about to kick us out of here. A to Z, no BS. We will see you next time. Bye.